0: culture and entertainment to cheer your lockdown life you can find us on spotify apple and google and leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the daily mail plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk this week we're jumping aboard our socially distanced tardis to head back in time we will be enjoying the glorious career of the American comedian Fred Willard, the man at the heart of movie gems like
1: Best in Show. Am I seeing right? Where's she putting her hands now? Well, she's just checking out the dog's... Testicular area Ooh. to make sure <laughs> to make sure that uh, that everything is intact. Hate to go out on a date with Judge uh, Edie Franklin. Have her judge me. That'd be no fun. We'll also be
0: journeying back with the superb BBC
1: History series,
0: A House in Time.
1: We don't know why Martha's mother chose to leave her baby at number ten. Perhaps the Smiths. Had a reputation for charitable giving, and Martha's mother thought she was giving her child the chance of a better life.
0: And when it comes to music, we'll be taking a spin in our time capsule, accompanied by the band The 1975. Uh Our first bit of time travel, though, has been inspired by the television channel UK Gold. This weekend, their search for the greatest comedy figure of all time reaches its conclusion. And the candidates for the best of the Chortlemeisters are many, stretching right back to the earliest days of television, from Tony Hancock to Albert Steptoe, from Captain Mannering to Basil Faulty. I'll stand there and ask them if they want something to drink before
1: the war. Before
0: they <laughs> but who are the favourites of the It's Friday panel? Oh, well, there could be no more expert analyst than Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic, and Brian Viner, the Mail's cinema critic, and a man, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, who's been staring at his television long enough to have seen some of the greatest chuckle generators when they first appeared on screen. Um, so, uh, Claudia, when it comes to a comic creation, what do you look for?
2: I, I think it, it's got to be a character that I think that you you have some sort of feelings towards that you care about in some way, and you. Actually, I, I've watched the UK Gold Programme. I'm not allowed to reveal who the winner is, and there's a, a panel of comedians who who decide who the ultimate winner is, and they have this discussion, and they say that. If the the character died in the show, would you care? Would you be sad that they died? And I thought oh, that's actually quite a, a good way of saying it. And and with, with my choices, I think yeah, actually, I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to any of them.
0: Brian, is that right? There's got to be a bit of pathos involved in a in a great comic character. Uh,
3: absolutely, Jim. I think I think that's right. And 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 actually, for me, you know, the the unsurpassable. Uh, comic character of all time in any in any medium really television film whatever you like is is Basil Fawlty the great John Cleese creation and and who could radiate more pathos than he did. Pathetic, being the uh, the adjective, but you know what a character! T- it's so temperamentally unsuited to the hospitality business, and such a crashing snob, and so so obsequious, and and such a bully, really, and chippy, and all those things. But there was real pathos and poignancy about him, you know. So for me, he he's just unsurpassable. There wasn't much of him, though, Brian, was it? I mean, how many series was it? Two. They did. Was... They only did two series. They the first one was 1975, and then they did another one another six episodes in 79 and so there were just 12 episodes Jim and Claudia was going to propose various other comic characters and there, there have been so many over the years but, but you know people like Del Boy I mean those, those series were on and on and on and I think maybe just overreached themselves whereas Faulty, you know there were just those two brief series six episodes each so those 12 perfect little mini farces which were so superbly crafted, and all the other characters were brilliant. Sybil, you know, the Prunella Scales character was incredible. The Major, and the one-off characters who came in to sort of, you know, play off Basil, like the Bernard Cribbins spoon salesman, you remember them all. But I think probably the episode of Faulty Towers that we all remember, you know, that, that just doesn't need any explanation, is the one we have a clip of here. It's the Germans episode.
1: Don't mention I am the owner of Fawlty Towers, and may I welcome your war, your war, you war, you
0: war, war, war,
4: war, war, and hope
1: that your stay
0: will be a happy one. Now, would you like to eat first, or would you like a drink before the war? Meaning <laughs> that uh, trespasses will be uh, uh, tied up with piano wax.
5: Sorry, sorry.
0: Claudio, you're way too young to have remembered Basil oh, Fawlty so, 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 who made you chortle?
2: Well, I think my top choice is is Alan Partridge. I just think he's such a brilliant creation. He's this opinionated little Englander. And he's, I think he's created, he's an amalgamation of all the sort of cheesy DJs that you used to get in the 1980s and the sort of presenters that you get on local news programs. He's this totally inept broadcaster, but he just... Doesn't understand why other people can't see his genius. Actually, there's a brilliant clip that we can listen to now of him pitching his uh, his shows to the uh, head of light entertainment at the BBC. That's a famous scene.
3: A uh, partridge amongst the pigeons. What's that? Well, it's just a title. I mean, um... <laughs> no, no. Opening sequence: me, in Trafalgar Square, feeding the pigeons, going. Oh God! No, no I'm sorry. No, stop. Uh, 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 youth hostling
4: with Chris Eubank. <laughs>
0: Been around a long time, Claudia. Yeah.
2: started on radio, then then moved over to TV, and actually he had a comeback series of, was it about a year or so ago, where he was sort of presenting a sort of like their version of it. it was obviously clearly based on the One Show, um, and and he was great. Again, he did this brilliant scene where it's great physical comedy, where he sort of described how to go to the toilet without touching anything. I don't know if people remember that. <laughs>
0: Very useful advice for us yes, in these I days know. of yes. um, yeah. uh, of not making contact with anything. Um, Brian, um, do you think there are hard and fast rules or is this subjective i mean i'm sure that some people listening to this would say you know mrs brown was a great comic figure
3: judging by the look on your face you wouldn't necessarily agree <laughs> i think there's only one hard and fast rule and that's that they've got to make you laugh that you must never get bored with them i mean partridge i agree with claudia is fantastic but you know in a way was he slightly i suppose that the closest we get to the modern day, the more derivative a lot of these characters are likely to be because you know there's just been so much comedy. So I, I tend to go back, and much as I love David Brent and Partridge and so on, I tend to go back to the 60s and 70s because those really were originals or seemed to be originals. My other choice would be from that era, uh, and that would be Norman Stanley Fletcher.
4: With a face like a ferret and a pea for a brain.
3: And his hand on his whistle in the morning.
5: Thank you, Fletcher. Let me watch up. Satirical singing. What John Peel,
0: sir, that's traditional days. Second only to my all-time favourite, Scotland the brave. Come where
5: the hands are clapping, come where the toes are tapping,
0: come where the jocks are strapping, down. If you want to sing, I suggest you form a slate prison glee club.
3: Glee? Fletch, Rolly Barker's immortal character from Porridge, and and we have to... Shout out for the writers here as well, of course. I mean in Faulty Towers the writer was was Cleese and, and his then wife Connie Booth. But Clement and who wrote Porridge, you know, they also gave us a Vida's aim and the likely lads and Love and you know, so why those two guys are not knighted, knights of the realm, I don't know, because they've brought us so much joy. And Fletcher was just an immortal creation, a fantastic it was the original lockdown comedy gym, actually, wasn't it? <laughs> Mm. indeed it was
0: so claudia i'm going to put you on the spot here what are your top three so partridge at number one who are your other one
2: um david brent i think definitely brian just mentioned him because i i think probably most of us have worked with somebody like that at some point (laughs) somebody who is desperate to be everybody's mate who confuses sort of popularity with respect um but you just you don't hate him there's something quite pitiful about him i don't there was a there was a, a scene um in the office do you remember when he, he lost his job and it was it was just heartbreaking because his job was everything to him um and he was he had he's terrible at relationships you know he was desperate to be mates with his staff but they all hated him and um actually we have a very funny clip of him here he's interviewing a potential pa but he's uh, much more interested in trying to get her to be his girlfriend last year i took a year out and i went traveling um Exploring.
4: Exploring yourself.
2: And Asia.
3: Just with your boyfriend. Just do just. No, I was on
4: the. Good
3: that. by yourself. Just out there, free, getting what you can. While you're young.
2: I I don't know when.
3: You've charmed me. Yeah, you've got the job.
2: Yeah, my final choice is a a, a bit more modern flea bag. I, I thought she was just a really fascinating character. She started off not being sort of very likeable, quite self-centered, sort of like the ultimate millennial in a way, but she grew on you. And I, I love that we, we never really sort of knew her name. She had this complex relationship with her family, terrible relationships with men, terrible judgments. And I, I thought it was a really good sort of modern female creation.
0: I'm glad you've uh, uh, mentioned uh, women characters. I, I, I really like Nessa from Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. Um, apparently a great fantasist, but then is she, or are those stories she comes up with actually true? A lot of humour involved there by the writer. Ruth Jones was the writer yeah. of, the, of, of the series. And I loved Mrs. Merton, Carolina Hearn's uh, character, who was able in the guise of uh, an old woman to say some really, really hard and fast and... <laughs> and, 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 and Great lines that we remember now, like her, her confrontation here that we're about to hear. But what first, Debbie, attracted you to the millionaire Paul Daniels? And the good thing is, of course, Claudia, we can still keep seeing them on the television almost all the time. I mean, that heritage of British comedy is always available, isn't
2: it? Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, UK Gold, who, uh, who are doing the show this Sunday, they, they show these programmes constantly.
0: And neither of you have mentioned Mrs. Brown. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) During lockdown, there's been one book you can guarantee parents of young children have reached for first to help them do a bit of homeschooling. The Gruffalo is the story everyone loves. Julia Donaldson's tale of a mythical creature encountering a mouse in the woods has been delighting children since it was first published in 1999. But what makes it work so well is that the pictures, as much as the words, leap out from the page. When we think of the Gruffalo, we all know exactly what he looks like. And I'm delighted to say the illustrator behind the oddly cuddly, Toothsome Beast is our guest on its Friday this week. Uh, Axel Scheffler, in 20 years, the Gruffalo has become a worldwide phenomenon. How many countries are parents reading it to their offspring?
6: Well, the Gruffalo has been translated into over 80 languages, which includes local dialects. I think there are six different, like there's an Orkney, a Shetland Gruffalo. So if you can't count all those, we are, I think, I'm. 186 translations
0: wow yeah, that so is, I mean, really that's amazing. remarkable isn't it yes. so it really is a universal figure
6: i think we've overtaken harry potter so and of course for me the picture <laughs> you say that with great see. pride
0: <laughs> tell me about uh, gruffalo it's hairy lots of teeth how close did you come to him becoming the stuff of children's nightmares rather than something of joy
6: well, my first sketches, he, he he did look a little bit more frightening. And it was the intervention of the editor who said, make him a little bit more friendly. So this is already the the revised version of a monster. I think he needs to look dangerous, but he shouldn't be too frightening. And I think that the main thing about the, we mustn't forget that the Gruffalo is not evil or anything. He's just, he's just a hungry beast. So he wants to eat the mouse. He doesn't want to do any harm, really, except for eating it. <laughs> and so, and I think children enjoy a bit of yeah, being frightened of characters so I seem to have hit a good balance there between him being frightening and also many children love him.
0: Uh, was he always there in your imagination Axel or did he come by when you first read stuff from Julia Donaldson?
6: No of course he came when I read the. I mean I'm an illustrator so I needed text to inspire me and I would have never thought about Monsters of Ruffaloes before he came it's
0: a fascinating relationship between the illustrator and the writer. It's a bit like the author seeing a movie of their, uh, of their book. You know, yes. it, is that actor the person they imagine? How, how, how long did it take the two of you to come to that conclusion that this was the right picture? Or did she fall in love with it straight away?
6: I mean, obviously the Gruffalo is partly described in the text, so the black tongue and the purple prickles and knobbly knees, all that has to be there. But she did say she had a completely different idea what the Gruffalo would look like. I I think Julia uses a really nice image. She says it's like, like going on holiday and you've got an idea what it will be like and then you go and it's completely different, but it's still nice. So... She was she was very quickly happy with my version of the Gruffalo. I think,
0: and of course, he's not the only the, the the only work both you and Julia have done. Do you find this is a tough question, I guess? But do you find it easier to form relationships with certain writers? Do you have a kind of mutuality in your processes?
6: We don't really work together, and I think we are also very different people. So for me, it's still a bit of a a miracle that works so well so she writes the text first and then I, I get the text I don't even know what it is about via the publisher and then it's a little surprise for me so
0: tell me well. about the coronavirus book that you've you've done
6: yes that wasn't an idea by my by my one of my publishers I've got several but Nosy Crow is one of my publishers and I've worked with the same publisher Kate Wilson for a long long time she was talking to a headmistress of a school in the east end of London and they were talking that many children and families that was right at the beginning of the corona crisis felt very insecure and had worried and had lots of questions and then Kate had the idea to do a book and do it very quickly and do do it online and do it for free and she rang me and said can you do it and can you do it very quickly and so I did and they wrote it within a few days and then I illustrated it within a few days and maybe after altogether 10 days or so it, it was out and it was, got hundreds of thousands of downloads and also several, it's about 50, 56 translations now. So that was an amazing, overwhelming success really and a brilliant idea to do that really early during the, during the crisis.
0: So it's explaining the, the science behind it and also what you should do, how you should approach things? Is yes, it's, like?
6: a, it's a non-fiction book trying to explain it to, in a language that is, that is good for children at primary school age, so between five and nine, I think they, they thought, to answer the questions about the virus and a little bit about the behaviour, what, what we have to do, keeping distance, washing hands and all that.
0: Now, Axel, you're a German by birth. How, how did I you am? end up being in England and being our leading illustrator of children's books?
6: I I took the the chance that the European Union then still called something else in the 80s to to live and work in another country. And I came over to study. It was very easy and very unbureaucratic to just say, "I, I want to live in another country, learn a second language. And I did that in 1982. I went to Bath Academy of Art for three years. And then afterwards, London was really the best place to start working because it was kind of a golden age of illustration and I, I never planned to stay here but now 37 years later I'm still here. You've you've
0: illustrated this book about coronavirus. How's it affected you? I would imagine it probably hasn't changed your working life much has it?
6: That's correct yes. Uh, my life is always I mean most authors and illustrators work in kind of self-isolation anyway except for the for the nice moments when we do school visits and s- signings and book festivals, and all. obviously all that is not happening at the moment. But apart from that, I'm at home, I'm drawing, I'm, so my life hasn't changed that much. And a,
0: a lot of authors will give themselves a project, say, I'm going to write this book, it'll take me six months, then I'll have some time off to research the next one. Is that the same for an illustrator, or are you drawing all the time?
6: I've got something to do constantly, really. There, there's always a book project but at the moment, there are a lot of little smaller projects and little videos I do or pictures for charities. So the corona, corona crisis has changed that a little bit. So I'm doing more small, smaller projects, but I still have some books to do. There's, there's no break except for holidays. Or so yeah.
0: but, but do you as, a, as an illustrator, do you need to be out and about to get inspiration or can it come from sitting in your study? It
6: it can come from my head, yeah. When I read a text, I, yeah, I don't need I don't need inspiration. I I've got it all. Obviously, sometimes I look up things for reference if I have to draw a certain animal or something. But I either go to my bookshelves or Google these days. So, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't go out and draw from nature or anything.
0: And much, of of, yeah. of the many projects you're doing, is there more Gruffalo to come?
6: No, there's no more Gruffalo to come. I, Man, I'm doing a new series with Julia Donaldson, The Tales of Acornwood, which are board books for smaller children with sort of lift the flap. And we've done four a long time ago, so we're doing four more at the moment. And there is another Julia text waiting. And yeah, but no Ruffalo in the pipeline.
0: Just a, a final thought. My wife operates a, a charity that uh, gets prisoners to read
6: Great, yeah. stories
0: for their children back home hmm. first book they always ask for is Gruffalo.
6: Gruffalo is very popular yeah also for soldiers and prisoners and, and yeah it's, it's very touching to hear that I think it makes it very meaningful what we do what it means for people the Gruffalo for parents connecting to their children and the other way around as well
0: yeah. So it's been a pleasure speaking to you thank you so much. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's writers turn their expert eye to the week's new releases and tell us what's lighting up their lockdown and what should be consigned to their freshly opened council tip. First up, the Daily Mail's film man, Brian Viner. So, Brian, I was reading this week that uh, streaming services have done so well for new movies. It looks as though that's going to be the principal way of introducing a film rather than via the cinema. But nothing worth talking about has been streamed this week you you reckon
3: no no we're coming into a good period jim uh June is looking pretty good for new streaming releases, some interesting stuff coming up, uh, the new Woody Allen, the new Spike Lee. But this week it's pretty thin, slim pickings. There's, there's, a couple, there's a Dutch film and an Icelandic film, which may very well both be excellent, but I didn't think they'd lend themselves very well to audio clips on our show, so, uh, so I'm, I'm not going to talk about those. I'm actually going to talk the, the, um, a great comic, Giants, from uh, American TV and cinema, Fred Willard, died last week, aged 86. And he might not be a household name in this country, but I think a lot of our listeners will recognize him from his roles on the Anchorman movies and in some of those great mock documentaries. This is Spinal Tap, he, he, he was in that great Rob Reiner documentary of 1984. And later, some of Christopher Guest's wonderful spoof documentary they, they call them mockumentaries and actually christopher guest has said that that's not quite fair because they're not mocking not trying to mock anybody but anyway fred willard popped up in in all of those i think and uh so i'm going to talk about those
0: yeah i i totally agree with you i i loved uh fred willard uh, best in show uh when he was uh, the hapless tv anchor man
3: uh absolutely absolutely wonderful uh, so best in show was Made in it 's twenty years old it was made in two thousand and it 's a it 's a uh, it 's a spoof of a of a dog show and it's, um, it 's it 's just it 's completely brilliant it follows the it doesn 't even try to be like a real documentary I mean it sort of does but it but you know from the start that this is you know this is this is just all ludicrous and it follows these Characters with their with their dogs preparing for this very prestigious dog show in Philadelphia, um, and and it's it's so funny, so brilliantly observed. Fred Willard is just wonderful. I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Let's listen to a clip first, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about his part.
1: Why do they have him run away, someone, and then back up? What's the point of that? What are they looking for? They're looking for the gait and movement of the uh-huh. dog, and it's very important to see the small angles. So uh, Edie will be checking out this, book in particular. Good way to judge a woman: have her run away from me and then run back. <clears throat> you now those birds on Carnaby Street, <laughs> yes. I'm used to seeing them run away from me more often than <laughs> run towards me. Yeah.
3: So as you say, Jim. Yeah. So he he plays the the co-announcer, the co-sort of TV broadcaster as they watch this as they watch this dog show unfolding, he apparently, Christopher Guest, didn't know how the third act of that film was going to play out because he'd he'd had so much fun in the build up to the dog show. But then he thought, well, we're going to have to actually, you know, make this look like a real dog show. And how do we make that really funny? And then somebody suggested, well, let's just have Fred. Let's just have Fred as the co-announcer, not quite knowing what's going on. And that's what he did. And then he just threw it. The, the great thing about Fred Willard was that he was a brilliant, just an improvisational genius. And he improvised all his best lines. And there's a moment where a bloodhound comes on and he says to, he says to, the, to, to the anchor next to him, well, why don't we, You know, wouldn't it be more fun if we just kind of dress the, dress the dogs up? Why, what, you know, the bloodhound, why doesn't he wear a, like a deer stalker and a pipe? Couldn't we do that? And he does it with such a straight face. And it's so funny.
4: And take your dog down and back for me, please.
1: Uh, you know what would be funny? I don't know if they can do this, uh, uh, just an idea off the top of my head. Why didn't he put the blood on, put on one of those Sherlock Holmes hats and put a little pipe in his mouth? Are they ever allowed to do anything like that, dress up a dog in a funny way? No, that's uh, it's not quite what the uh, purpose of these shows is. But it would be, I think it would really get the crowd going. You know, you know what I mean? The Sherlock Absolutely, Holmes hat yes. with the pipe. I don't know if you could make it look like smoke's coming out of the pipe.
0: I think that would be a little dangerous.
1: <laughs> I'd get a kick out of it.
0: And seriously, Brian, but that, that was all improvised was it the line about
3: whenever i approach women they run away from me that that was something that he came up with on the spur I, of the moment I, I believe so jim yeah a lot of a lot of i mean <laughs> the, uh, much of the whole film was improvised but but he he apparently could improvise like nobody else uh and he he, he was he was just fantastic and, and i've sat down and i've watched in sort of tribute to him i've sat down with my family uh, so a couple of my children had never seen any of those movies before. And we, we sat down this week and we watched them sort of night after night. And they have just been such a treat. And you can find them quite easily on Amazon Prime and so on. So, uh, or so even what else, on else is there?
0: Movies. So there's Best in Show. Uh, what, what else it's would Best you in
3: Show. There's a, there was another one called um, Waiting for Guffman, which was uh, absolutely delightful. That was slightly earlier. Maybe not quite as... Not quite as funny. But the, the other one that, I, that we watched this week and absolutely loved, and I haven't seen for years, is A Mighty Wind. Do you remember that one, Jim? 2003. That's, yeah. the, kind of, that's the kind of folk
0: band version of spinal tap isn't it that's
3: exactly right yeah so spinal tap was the was the the parody of the rock music documentary and this is like a this is a folk music version of it uh and it's all so there's a guy called irving Steinblum who has died who was a great manager of folk music acts Uh, and his son jonathan played by bob balaban wants to get some of his his uh his most beloved acts back together. They were all big folk acts in the 60s, but they never, they weren't that successful, you know, but they, they, they get back together and it's just the whole, it's the, it's the lead up to the tribute concert that they play in honor of Irving Steinblum that that, that uh, provides the springboard for all of the comedy. And there's a wonderful, there's a band called the Folksmen, which is just three of them: Christopher Guest himself, he played, he was always, he always popped up in his own documentaries. Harry Shearer, great comic actor and writer, and Michael McKean, uh, who some people may know from Better Call Saul, he played, uh, he played Chuck in Better Call Saul more recently. Uh, but anyway, they're they're fabulous. And and again, you know, Willard, Fred Willard is just fabulous. He plays this, he plays a music producer. Uh, uh, and he's just wonderful. Let's hear a clip.
1: One second, please, technical. I got an idea, a very literate reference. I don't know if you're familiar with a book about a a, a pirate captain, his name is Moby Dick. He was chasing some big whale, and he had a catchphrase, he'd always yell out, there she blows! So I thought if you could do that, we'd have someone on stage drench the whole group with water. And um, you can look at the camera and say, hey, what happened? And then every time, another thing of water,
3: and by then you're all soaked, even the ladies. And this was entirely improvised. And it's so brilliant, and why, how the, the, all the actors around him didn't crack up, I don't know, maybe they did, and they had to reshoot it <laughs> time and time again, but it's just priceless. You can find it on Amazon Prime, you can find it on YouTube. He was a big, giant character, very tall man, but absolutely brilliant, very deadpan delivery. He was very, very funny.
0: Ludicrous as it may seem, I've got to ask you, hit or miss, Fred Willard?
3: <laughs> the biggest hit of the year so far. Those, those, films, are, uh, those films are just priceless. They're, they're, they're getting on in years, but they're evergreen. They are absolutely lovely.
0: Now I'm joined by the Mail's music critic Adrian Thrills. Adrian, we've uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, this episode talking about going back in time, and and your first band sound as though they have come from the old days.
4: Well, yeah, you know, certainly uh, in name, the 1975, who are uh, actually a relatively young band. Uh, lead singer Matt Healy, he's he's only 31, so. Uh, um, but um, they, they have some retro sounds um, in, in their armory as well. But um, they're a very interesting group, actually. They're from from uh, Wilmslow in Cheshire. And Matty Healy, the singer, he's like an indie rock pinup. He's the son of uh, the actors Tim Healy and Denise Welsh. And um, they're a really good band, actually. Their, their last album, which came out two years ago, which was very presciently called a brief inquiry into online relationships which is uh kind of pretty much all we're left with these days isn't it (laughs) certainly ahead of the curve on that one and and at that point they were on a real roll it was a brilliant album and they said they're they were going to rush a follow-up five months later, and they gave it a title. It's called Notes on a Conditional Form. Um, But then the warning sign started to emerge when uh, they started to add extra tracks and the inevitable delays set in. And it's now emerged uh, 19 months later as this kind of sprawling 22-track behemoth of an album that lasts for about 80 minutes. And it's a lot to digest. It reminds me a bit of oasis after their, they had this kind of imperial phase where they released two brilliant albums in definitely maybe and what's the story then they came back with the the third album was a very bombastic be here now and i think notes on a conditional form is it's the 1975's be here now which isn't to say that it's not without its merits there's some great stuff on there and i, I think it would have it would have made a brilliant single album you could certainly couldn't accuse them of lacking ambition or not touching enough bases. There's uh, there's orchestral interludes, there's a reggae track, there's a gospel choir, and somewhere buried in that, there's also some really good pop songs. And um, there's uh, there's one I think we're going to listen to now, which is called uh, "Me and You Together" song, which uh I it reminds me of another band from the northwest. It's, it's got shades of the Stone Roses about it. But uh, let's have a listen.
0: I can hear a bit of the stone roses you're right there the influences are all around and does it all come together do you reckon uh, in in places
4: in places well it's very it, it's certainly not a very cohesive album. It's one that you'd need to dip in and out of. I think it would, you know, it puts the onus on the listener really to curate your own kind of twelve track Spotify playlist from the from the from the twenty two. There's some great song titles on there actually. There's one called "Bagsy Not In Net," which uh, I think anyone who's played park football would uh, <laughs> relate to. But it's it's a really odd record because you, you do have to dig quite deep to, to find the gems. But if you do, it, it will reward it will reward kind of a little bit of patience.
0: Okay, odd, Adrian. Does that mean it's a hit or a miss?
4: Well, I'd say on balance, it's a hit. But you just need you need to wade through to get to those gems.
0: <laughs> and who else has uh, released new work this week?
4: The other big album of the week is from um, an English singer called Charlie XCX Charlie Aitchison who is originally from Cambridge she now lives in or is based in Los Angeles and uh, she's a 27 year old singer and electronics synth player and she's made what is Pop's first ever lockdown album she has written, recorded and produced using a few outside producers a complete album from scratch in five weeks and it's quite an achievement and it's rough and ready around the edges. And there's, there's a few tracks that are, that are kind of bogged down a bit by this kind of joddering electronic noise, but she's actually a very talented pop writer and there's some great songs on there. And it, it kind of really kind of sums up the feeling, the frustrations of a, of a young person in lockdown. You know, she misses her mates. She's fortunate enough to be in quarantine with her boyfriend. So there's a lot of nice love songs on there. But they, you know, she, there's a track um, called Pink Diamond where she says, "I just want to feel in different ways. Every night feels the same." There's another one called Anthems, which is basically just about missing being out in a club, listening to anthems. It's details a day where you you wake up, um, wake up, have a lie in, eat cereal, exercise, watch TV, and you miss your friends. And um, but there's there's, as I say, there's some very good pop material on there and uh, i think we're going to listen to a song called forever
5: i will always love, you, yeah. I'll love you forever Even when we're not together i will always love you yeah. i love you forever, so I'll love you forever. I know in the we will see
0: amazing achievement adrian to have brought this together under lockdown
4: yeah i think it's you know some people are talking about it as a game changer i mean if uh, if a 27 year old can make an album you know relatively polished and produced in isolation in five weeks what does that mean for these kind of experienced veteran producers with their big glossy studios i mean it's uh, be interesting to see if she indeed sets a template and there's there's more people take this course in the future
0: well, has she set a template, Adrian? Is it a hit or a miss?
4: I'd say in, in every way it's a hit, really, because both in the way it's created. But actually, once you, once you get past it, there's a couple of kind of quite you know, noisy songs that might not be for you know, listeners of a, of a more delicate disposition. But underneath that, it's a really good pop record, and I would say I'm certainly a hit.
0: And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television writer. Uh, Claudia, we've been doing quite a lot of time travel uh, on this episode of It's Friday, and um, you've got something that's also taking us back.
2: Yeah, House Through Time on BBC Two. Um, a new series is back on, on Tuesday. Uh, this programme on paper, it sounds like it should be the most boring programme in the world, but it, it's amazing and I, I absolutely love it. David Olisoga, who's a historian, he takes on a house and over the course of the series, he just reveals its history. So everybody who lived there, what they did for a living, any scandals that happened. And this series, they feature the oldest house that they've ever done. Um, it's a sea captain's house in Bristol near the docks It was built in. 1718 the first modern census wasn't done until 1841 so they had to they had a real sort of struggle to find out about its history and had to look at old tax records to see who lived there uh, the house is a number 10 guinea street and and guinea street is a clue because it's named after the guinea coast in west africa and it turns out that the man who built it and um, uh, captain edmund saunders was was a slave trader so that's how he made his fortune from uh, trafficking people and sort of the painstaking research that goes into the program there's all sorts of fascinating facts you find out about the, the people who lived there the next occupant was also a seaman who was captured by pirates and we also found there's a really sad story a little a baby girl was left on the doorstep of the house um actually we have a little clip about that
1: this is a page from the register of 1728 and it lists all the children who've been baptized on the 5th of October there's an entry for a baby girl called Martha. She is aged about three months. She has no known mother or father, and as a result, she has no surname. So there's a gap in the register where her surname should be. And then this document tells us, she was found at Captain Smith's door. So this baby girl is a foundling, and she has been left. She has been abandoned on this doorstep, literally, Abandoned here.
0: Listening to David Olisanga there, he's a really good guy, isn't
4: he?
2: Yes, he's brilliant. He's really, he's fascinating to watch, but he's kind of, he's not sort of selfish. He brings in loads of other experts in the programme as well. So there's, you know, he talks to experts on slavery and experts on piracy and it, it just becomes a really fascinating programme.
0: So I think you're, I know where you're heading on this one, Claudia. I, um, I would totally agree with you. This is a...
2: This is a hit. <laughs>
0: And what else is coming up then, Claudia?
2: Well, there's a, a, a new drama, so that's, that's not to be sniffed at because we're looking at a lot of repeats on TV at the moment. This is called uh, Mayans MC. It's on BBC Two on Sunday. It's an American-Mexican crime drama. It's a spin-off of another show, The Sons of Anarchy, that ran for about six years and it ended up being this huge cult hit. It made it. it was about... an outlaw gang of motorcycle riders and it made a big star out of um, the British actor Charlie uh, Hunnam. Um, Mayan MCs were their rivals turned allies and now they have their own sort of spin-off series uh, this is a second series and I, I didn't watch the first one and, and if this is anything to go by then I'm glad I didn't um, <laughs> it's it's set in a Californian town near the Mexican border the Mayans run this drug cartel and the main character in the series is this guy called Easy Raze he's a prospect and that means that he's earned his stripes by doing time in prison and killing a cop but he he's at the bottom of the rung in the gang, he has he hasn't quite sort of made it. He needs to become what they call a patch. So we can listen to a trailer for the series.
1: I need your help with our rebel queen. You need me to get her dirty, get her bloody.
0: If you bring the other world into this, you undermine
2: all the work you've done to go legitimate. Ain't no fun if we can't kill you.
1: Here we go.
0: So what's the problem then, Claudia? You, is it, is it just cliched?
2: It's cliché. I have to say the acting is, is very wooden. The plot is sort of unfathomable. There's a lot of violence, but violence for the, the sake of violence. The main character is somebody I just you know don't really care about. They're trying to paint him as this deep sort of complex soul who's tortured over the murder of his mother and wants vengeance for that but it's just I just I don't really care I think the Sons of Anarchy was a a, had a sort of a proper story and the characters all developed and it it sort of ended when it needed to end and there's no there's no real sort of need for this there's lots of you know lots of Mexicans in handlebar mustaches sitting around sort of tables in leather jackets smoking and punching each other lots of motorbikes as you might expect but not much else really and music is good.
0: Claudia, you're really selling this. Uh, I, thank um, you very yeah. much. Uh, I, I suspect you won't be tuning in, but hit or a miss?
2: This is a miss.
0: Well, now you know what's worth seeking out and what should only be approached while wearing full personal protective equipment. My thanks to Brian, Claudia and Adrian. Now let's find out what's happening on the other side of the Atlantic, and who better to bring us up to speed with celebrity life over there than the woman who knows, the male's own Jackie Stephen. So, uh, Jackie, you've been in lockdown even longer than
5: us, Uh, how are you bearing up? Not so well this week. It's over 12 weeks for us here, and New York City is the epicentre of the epicentre. And now, last week I told you that we were able to go out to bars, bars to get a takeaway drink, and we could hover on the pavement. They've said this week that's absolutely forbidden, and they've told the police now to just stop anyone doing that. So I had a bit of a meltdown, and very kindly, my friends at BBC Wales... Chris Needs, uh, the Chris Needs show got in touch with me and said, look, we'll play you a song, which was really nice. So I was in touch with them throughout the whole three hour show. And, you know, it was lovely to hear the Welsh accents. And he played me one song and then he played me a song that he had sung. And it was just really, really kind. It's a brilliant show, by the way. It runs in Britain between uh, 10 at night and one in the morning and plays the most fantastic music so i've been listening to that this week and that helped me through to be honest because i'm finding it really really hard now you know i don't see a soul from one day to the next apart from one year
0: and on your television presumably i mean what what have you seen there that's even attempted to brighten you up
5: I was absolutely thrilled with The Blacklist. It's one of my favorite shows and one of my favorite actors, James Spader, who is absolutely fantastic. And halfway through filming, the coronavirus came along. They hadn't finished the the finale, uh, the season season finale. So what they did was a technique that I didn't know about, a previs, pre-visionary technique in animation. And I'm sure I'm getting all the words wrong for this, but it's a graphic novel style stuff, and apparently why they were able to do it was that when the series started it did spawn a series of comic books, so in actual fact they had a lot of stuff that was pre-drawn and written, and the style of it lends itself very much to animation, James Spader with his hat and lots of running through alleyways and stuff like that, so what they did was incredibly clever, they switched between the two genres, so on the one hand we had reality and then it would just switch to cartoon two mode seamlessly it took a while you know your brain does think oh does not compute when it first happened and then they had graphics on it saying sort of zoom or bang or <laughs> and stuff like this and it was absolutely extraordinary
0: That does sound uh, that does sound amazing. I mean, and it worked for you, did it? This kind of mix of animation and real sounds like Mary Poppins mix of animation (laughs) and real people.
5: Well, I'm not a big animation person. I always feel, oh God, not again. You know, I was never a cartoon kind of person when I was a kid because I like reality. But it worked incredibly well. I hope they don't decide after the the success of it uh, to keep doing this on a regular basis because it is quite hard for the brain to switch. But I certainly think that they. Could certainly look to do spin off episodes that were total animation. Really, really clever stuff.
0: Now, talking of real life, you were telling us the other day that Stanley Tucci, uh, the actor, was getting a lot of um, interest and and excitement from his cocktail recipes. Have
5: you been following any more of those? I have. I I learned that he went viral uh, with his Negroni recipe because it was very sexy. He appeared on the James Corden show a while back to teach James how to do a martini. And when they showed the clip of the Negroni, they cut out the very rude bit where Stanley is shaking the cocktail shaker in a very suggestive way. (laughs) Funnily enough, they cut that out on the James Corden show. But Stanley was due to do uh, a four-part series for TNN in which he was touring Italy. He's obviously a big foodie, uh, but of course, that's been put on hold now. But he's a very sexy, charismatic man. James Corden was lusting after his very strong arms. He's a great person and an incredible actor. So let's hope that when we're out of lockdown, that that series comes along.
0: Now, I'm only going to feed your, your interest in, in uh, middle-aged American men. Andrew Cuomo, getting anywhere nearer him?
5: <laughs> Still no reply to my letter, getting no <laughs> nearer at all. I'm having to move interest now. His brother's quite attractive, but his brother's married. So, uh, But I think until this virus is over, you know, I'm not going to get close to him. And no sign of
0: any... What you're saying, the lockdown's getting worse in New York. Any any sign of any uh, release at all? Any dates?
5: There are some dates for partial openings in New York State, and they're happening this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend, and some of the beaches are open. They're leaving it up to the individual towns to see whether they should open the beaches or not. Uh, But New York City, again absolutely nothing and I think this weekend is going to be absolutely horrific because everyone flocks to it's the beginning of summer Memorial Day weekend so everyone's going to be flocking to the beaches and I think we're going to see a real skyrocket in cases because people aren't sticking to the rules they're not keeping their masks on they're not maintaining social distancing and next week I think it's going to be very the next two weeks because that's the incubation period and I think we're just going to see a spike and we're going to stay where we are at the moment with nothing being open. But it's very, very difficult. And people are going around with signs and deliberately flouting the rules. The signs are saying, come on, Cuomo, open up, you know, New York, this is unfair. But I think he's done the best thing. Our figures are going down, but they're not going to keep going down if people flout the rules.
0: Well, uh, we're going to come back to you every week, uh, Jackie, to keep us informed. So keep your chin up since, uh, we're, while we're away.
5: Thank you so much, and uh, stay safe. <laughs> it's, uh, I haven't got much option, actually, because I'm just in <laughs> it all the time. <laughs>
0: you are very safe. You keep you safe. you all
5: stay safe as well. I'm thinking of you all, and wish I was there.
0: And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple, and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Stay safe.